We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Along with Sean Styers, I'm Darren Pritchett. We are joined by Brian Driscoll to talk Notre Dame football on this Tuesday evening. Brian is the publisher of IrishBreakdown.com, the Sports Illustrated website covering Notre Dame athletics, specifically Notre Dame football and Notre Dame football recruiting. Well, Brian, good to be with you. I guess you've kind of got the football bug, even though it's, what, the second day of summer, you're ready for football to get started? Yeah, I pretty much have that year-round. Uh, it's an illness that never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad thing. There's a lot of worse illnesses than that. That's for sure. Hey, we got into a conversation last week on the program, and we said we were going to bring it up on Tuesday, so let's take care of that right off the bat. I was doing a segment on some NFL mock drafts last week, and I think you were actually on hold listening, and it kind of led to a conversation off the air. But I was really surprised to see one media outlet that did a mock draft for next year have Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams in the first round. Now, I was surprised from this standpoint mainly that you just don't see as many running backs taken in the first round as you used to. Now, Travis Etienne, of course, maybe was a bit of a surprise going in the first round to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It had nothing to do with his skill set. I was just a little surprised that he might be a first-round pick. So I guess let's start with this, Brian. Give me your thoughts on Kyron Williams after seeing him as a full-time starter for the first time and why NFL teams might be so inclined to take him in the first round. I think if you look at the last three first-round picks, you had Najah Harris this year, Travis Etienne, and then last year you had Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU. The one thing that makes these all three of these players unique is not only good runners, but they're all very good pass catchers, especially Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, so, you know, for me, I look at Kyron Williams and I say he's a very unique player in that, yes, he's a good runner. You know, he's a tough runner, can make people miss. He's, he's you know, he's doesn't have the biggest body, but he's well-built. He's, he's stocky. 
Uh, he's got enough home run speed that, you know, he's not a burner, but he's got enough home run speed. But he's a really unique weapon in the pass game, and that's kind of why I've compared him in the past to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You know, say, well, Kyron Williams didn't have speed. Well, Clyde Edwards-Alaire ran a 4-6 at the combine, or at the pro day coming out of, out of LSU. And then you look at Kyron Williams and say, yeah, I mean, he may run a little faster than that, but around there. But he, he's such a unique pass game weapon, Darren, because he's number one. He can, he can do damage as a traditional running back in the pass game. He's, a, he's, in a, he's got talent as a pass blocker. You know, he's got to clean some things up technically, but he's willing to do it. He's tough. He can get the job done. He's very good out of the backfield swings, screens, like little arrow routes, you know, just traditional running back stuff. But he's kind of a bit of a unicorn, too, because this is a kid that grew up really as a receiver for most of his high school career, transitioned to running back. And, you know, I remember back to when him and Kyle, and him and Kyle Hamilton were freshmen that first spring or that first fall together and then just watching Kyron just put in work and do damage against Kyle Hamilton, just spinning him in the ground as a route runner. You're like, this kid runs routes like a receiver. And he has that downfield ball catching ability. We saw him do it last year against BC a little bit, some other teams where you know you can tr truly line him up in the slot and say, hey, we're going to run routes with you. And I think that's where the NFL is now with running backs. They want guys that can be all-around players. You know, got not guys that are just first or second down players. You know, not the Kevin Falk where you're more of just a traditional pass catcher. They want guys that can do both. And I think that's what Kyron Williams brings to the table. When you when you pair him with Chris Tyree, such a dynamic backfield, Brian. So compare compare this duo, you know, this this backfield tandem that Notre Dame's going to have this year, Williams and Tyree. Kind of give us an idea of where you think their standing is across college football this year, but but also historically with Notre Dame, like they're the best tandem since when potentially. Well, when you look at how they stand up against college football, I think they're one of the three best backfields in the country coming back. You know, you know, I think Oklahoma with the, the transfer, they're going to get, um, you know, they're going to get the Tennessee transfer, Eric Gray, who's a good running back there. But uh, they're also going to get back uh, Kennedy Brooks, who sat out last year. He was a thousand yard rush the year before. So I think they're in there. And I think Georgia's got a really good backfield. I mean, Georgia's like four deep at running back. Uh, and, and so I think but I think Notre Dame is right there. And I think when you look at this one two punch. You know, they can both do everything. They can both run. They can both block. They can both catch the ball. But where you would rank those three set skill sets is going to be different for the two runners. And I think the other thing that I like about them is they're not cookie cutters. They're not the same back. And why that's important is, you know, you can't – if you have two guys to do the same exact thing, they're not as dangerous when you use them together. You know, so when you look at Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams and you put them on the field together – and you say, well, you could you could technically be in like 11 personnel with those two running backs in the field because if you put Kyron Williams in the slot, you're attacking teams just like you would if you had three receivers on the field. And Chris Tyree can do some unique things there too. I think Kyron Williams is kind of a volume player. You know, He's not a guy that's going to necessarily blow you away with eight touches. You know, he needs 15 to 18 touches to really be impactful where Chris Tyree can change the game with five touches. He's just got that home run speed. So I think that's another compliment. And that's what I think made it makes it stack up really well against the past best Notre Dame groups. You know, you look at the Josh Adams, you know, Dexter Wicks really wasn't a duo. It was like four guys. I mean, Deion, Deion McIntosh mm -hmm. made yeah. plays that year, Tony Jones. But it was, you know, Josh was sort of that every down back. And then Dexter came in and he was a home run threat. You look at the 2015 combo of Josh Adams and C.J. Procise, but the reason that group doesn't stack up to this group is, to me, those numbers were great from C.J. and Josh in 2015, but they never really played together. Other than that Texas game, the only action Josh got was mop-up duty. Uh, and then it, he didn't take over until C.J. got hurt. So I think you'd have to go all the way back, in my opinion, to 2012 with Theo Riddick and Sear Wood. 
And it was a very similar thing where, where Theo was kind of the, the, the Kyron Williams figure where he, you know, he was a slot receiver at Notre Dame. He could catch out of the backfield. He was kind of a, a pound that even wasn't the biggest guy. I think, although I think Kyron is a little bit more home run speed. And then Chris, Chris Tyree is a lot like Sear Wood was where he was a home run guy. You know, Sear, Sear could do as much damage yards wise as Chris, as uh, Theo Riddick, but on, you know, five to eight less touches. And so I think that's the best combo to me that we've seen so far. And I think this group by the end of the 2021 season will surpass it. Hmm. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brian Driscoll, the publisher of irisbreakdown.com, joining us on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT, talking Notre Dame football on this Tuesday evening. Run-pass ratio, do you believe it will be significantly different for the Irish this year compared to last year? I sure hope so. I mean, I hope they're more balanced this year. I'm not someone that really necessarily gets into you have to be 50-50 or 60-40. What I think it boils down to for me, Darren, is you have to be efficient and explosive doing both. Meaning, if the uh, if the opponent is good enough to take away one of those areas, you be you have to be able to beat them with the other. And in in 2020, Notre Dame was not good enough to beat good teams if you could take away their run game. And I think the Clemson, the two games against Clemson are a perfect example. You know, Notre Dame ran the ball on Clemson the first time, which then opened up an opportunity for them to then hit some bigger pass plays. The second game, Clemson shut Notre Dame's run game down and said, we dare you to beat us with Ian Book in the pass game. And Notre Dame said, well, you called our bluff. We can't do it. You know, and then the same thing happened in the title game. This team needs to be able to say, hey, if you're going to come in and load the box and stop our running game, because any good team can take your running game out if they're willing to commit enough resources to it. But do you have the weapons to exploit that and take advantage of that with the pass game? And so as long as they're able to do that, there's going to be some games where they may run 70% of the time because they're just crushing the other team with it. And there may be times where maybe they don't put up the big numbers in the pass game. Or maybe because teams are overplaying it, they're pulling and throwing the RPOs a lot. And that's the other part is if you're really going to truly be able to evaluate the success of the run-pass ratio or whatever else, you need to be able to look at RPOs as more of an extension of the run game and not necessarily a pass game aspect of it. And that's a lot harder for people to do that are just numbers watchers. Michael Mayer, after the big season he had as a freshman – last year when you factor in things like you got a new quarterback you got some questions at receiver he's likely to draw you know the, the attention he's likely to draw from opposing defenses now this year after that big year what, what do you think the season looks like for him as a sophomore you know think 
we talked about this somewhat recently on the show, and the thing I said at the time, Sean, and I and I believe this now is, I could see a scenario where his total number of catches don't take a big jump. You know, for you know maybe he gets to forty five or fifty, and that's it. That's not a huge jump in catches. Where I think the big difference is going to be for Michael Mayer this year is going to be the yards per catch. Last year he was you know around ten and a half, eleven. Only had two touchdowns. I think this year. Uh, last year, if you look at the numbers, according to Pro Football Focus, he was only targeted twice all year on throws that went 20 yards past the line of scrimmage, and one of those was in the end zone, so it was a red zone play. So I think this year you're going to see him be used more to stretch the field. We saw it in the spring, not to Michael Mayer because he didn't play, but we saw them using deep drag routes. You know, you remember, I think it was uh, Jack Cohn hit a deep drag route to, uh, uh, I think it was Mitchell Evans, and then Jack Cohn hit uh, George Takis up the backside seam on a, on, a, on a route that we've seen Notre Dame use more in the past. Remember, Durham Smythe used to had a lot of success in 2017 with those seam routes. We had one against Michigan State for a huge third and 15 conversion, had another big one against NC State that I think went for a touchdown. I think we're going to see more of that stuff. So I think you're going to see him uh, be used on intermediate stuff. And I think that if they're able to spread the, the ball outside with the pass game a little bit, that's going to widen the defense. That doesn't just help the run game. That's going to help Michael Mayer, too. It's going to give him more room to work. So even if the volume doesn't in, in, increase for the reasons you talked about, you know, maybe there's more of an emphasis and things like that, I think his yards per attempt is going to go up because, uh, because of the things that I mentioned. But also, if they are able to stretch the field more effectively on the outside because you have different personnel this year, that's another thing that's going to take those so those safeties have to start peeking outside now. If Braden Lindsey's balling, if Kevin Austin is balling, you have to kind of keep your eyes outside a little bit more and that's going to make it harder for the safeties to have an impact on defending Michael Mayer. IrishBreakdown.com publisher Brian Driscoll joining us on WSBT Radio. Outside of the Goog, we are all kind of curious to see how the Irish offensive line is going to line up. We have some guesses, but I think there's more mystery this year than most years combined at this point. So with that being said, Brian, you're going to have a lot of new parts along the offensive line. As we look to early September, that first game against Florida State, do you expect with this group coming together, still building chemistry as they break camp, will the run blocking be ahead of pass blocking? What do you believe ultimately will be the strength of this offensive line once they get a little more chemistry working together? I think if we look at the early part of the season, I think the pass blocking is going to be ahead of the run blocking. Just because I think in today's era, I think pass blocking has been made easier than it used to be. It used to be mm -hmm. run blocking was easier to teach than pass blocking. I think nowadays that's completely different because, you know, I was watching actually a, a 1986 playoff game last night because I couldn't sleep. I need to get some help for that, but I couldn't sleep. So I was watching an 86 Broncos Patriots playoff game and I'm watching John Elway take like nine step drops. He's like throwing the ball from like 12 <laughs> yards behind the line of scrimmage, right? You don't do that anymore. You just don't see that anymore. And so I think it's, a you know, you see more slide protections and mic protections and the RPOs are helping with that. So I think it's a little easier to teach pass blocking than it used to be. And it's, I think it's even easier than, than run blocking and based on how Notre Dame plays so I think earlier on we'll probably see them have a little bit more success in pass pro plus you have really long tackles and even if they you know Ryan Harris the former Notre Dame uh, great offensive tackle was on our show with us recently on our podcast and he was explaining that you know even if Blake gets technically gets beat off the line he's so long that he can recover from that 
and you can't get around them. And it's the same thing of Josh Lugg. So I think that's going to be part of it too. I think it's going to take a little bit longer to get the run game uh, going, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, I still I still want to figure out where they're going to play Jarrett Patterson. That's still the bigger question for me. I haven't even got to the pass blocking, run blocking yet. <laughs> I haven't got to the point of who's going to play where. So I'm not even there yet. What about the other side? Of the line, you know, we're at the time of year where you got Lindy's and Athlon, and you know those magazines coming out. And I saw neither one of them has Notre Dame's defensive line in their in their top ten. Does that kind of surprise you? Yes and no. It surprises me because every year I convince myself that people are actually going to not underestimate and disrespect Notre Dame. That after four years of being a ten-plus win team, that they're finally going to realize that Notre Dame is in reload mode. But apparently, they're not yet. Uh, one of those did not have a single Notre Dame position group in the top 10. And I'm thinking, I mean, are we still here, right? We're still, Cincinnati has more top 10 position groups than Notre Dame does. Come on, people. Uh, and I think the defensive line is the one for me. I still don't think Notre Dame is getting anywhere near the respect for what they've done on the defensive line as they needed to. I mean, look, Notre Dame has been in the playoff two of the last three years. Does any, do either one of you guys want to sit there and argue with me that the offense is the reason they made those two playoff appearances? You guys want to have that conversation? Or can we all agree that it's been the defense that has fueled those drives primarily, right? Uh, well, what's been the driving force behind the defense? It's been the defensive line. I mean, Notre Dame's 2018 defensive line had five guys from that group get drafted, and three of the rotation players from that team are still on the team. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty good ratio right there. And yet, no respect for the defensive line. And I think that group is going to really surprise some people. I think that group is going to be more productive. And the interesting thing is, there's more production coming back from the defensive line based on this the previous season to this defensive line from a sacks and tackles for loss standpoint than there was a year ago despite playing one more game. And so I think this group has a chance to be really, really good. And I think part of it is because Michael Mike Elson still doesn't get the national respect for what he's done that a Larry, John- Larry Johnson is going to get the benefit of that Ohio State. I mean, it's almost every year. doesn't matter who Ohio State loses. They're just going to assume they're going to have a top 10 defensive <laughs> line. Well, hey – Notre Dame's been a, a, a great defense the last three years. Two of Ohio State's last three defenses have stunk. If we're being honest, they've given up 25 or more points. And, and yet Notre Dame still doesn't get the respect on defense that a program like Ohio State does, despite the fact they've been way better on the field. Brian, where do you stand right now with that defensive line and their ability to get after the quarterback? And let me add another question to that one. Do you believe Marcus Freeman will ultimately bring more pressures than the previous two defensive coordinators? I think he's going to be, bring more pressures in the in the truest sense of the word because I think we're going to see them lining up a lot more uh, in three-man looks. And, and just by nature, you're going to bring a fourth guy in that regard. So it's going to look like they're bringing more pressures. But in reality, in a lot of those times, they're still going to have just four guys attacking the line of okay. scrimmage. Uh, but it's going to look like pressures. But I, I think at the end of the day – I think Marcus Freeman wants to have more four-man pressures. Now, sometimes that's going to be three guys plus a linebacker because of the 3-3 look. But I think he un- he understands that if you can rush the quarterback with four, you're going to be really good. It makes you so much harder to, def- to, to, to make plays against because if you have to bring a fifth guy, if you have to bring a sixth guy to get pressure, now all of a sudden you're leaving your corners on islands. And I don't think I have enough confidence yet in the secondary to, to say, hey, let's go into every game and just put those guys on an island every game. I think there's the potential there, but they've got to prove themselves. And I think the thing that makes this Notre Dame team unique is there's not one guy that I look at and say, boy, that guy's going to have 14 sacks this year. But I look at every position and I say, 
there's a guy at every position that's capable of getting after the quarterback. I, I think Jason Adamiola and Riley Mills with the three technique. I think uh, Isaiah Foskey, who has, has had as many sacks coming into this year as Adi Ogundishi had going into last year. Hmm. Uh, you look at a guy, and he had he was a very good pass rusher for much of last year in limited opportunities. You look at what Jordan Patelho did all spring and the fact that he was a highly regarded player uh, a highly regarded recruit for Notre Dame. And then you look at Myron Tungvaloa and what I think he can bring to the table. They've got guys all over. So you may not have one guy that's a high-volume pass sacker kind of guy, but I think the fact is is you're going to be super disruptive because you have so many different guys that can rush the quarterback. You can create matchup problems for offensive lines. If you have a weak guard, we can exploit it. If you have a weak tackle, we can exploit it. That's the way that Marcus Freeman and his staff are going to be looking at it. And that's really ultimately where you want to be than just having one guy. Because you know, a couple years ago, when, when if you could stop Chase Young, whether it be scheme-wise or player-wise, and this is what Northwestern did, then you could have success against Ohio State's defense because that's really the only pass rusher they had. This team can throw four, five, six guys at you in waves that can get after the quarterback. Do you think some of those things you're talking about with, with you know, with the D line getting after the quarterback and just the disruptiveness that it, it seems like you know, they're going to have with Marcus Freeman that that maybe that I don't know directly or indirectly that that kind of helps out that will linebacker spot where where maybe there were some deficiencies last year. I think so. I think if you're a little bit more aggressive. It's going to keep teams from getting their first their lineman up to the will linebacker. I think it's part of it. But I think the the biggest thing, honestly, Sean, the biggest thing that's going to help out the will linebacker is not going to be the defensive front or anything like that. It's just going to be taking a little bit of that of that responsibility burden off their shoulders, and and maybe not having so many different checks and options, and just say at the end of the day. I, you know, I don't need you to do 10 different things. I need you to do four. But I need you to do those four things as hard and as fast and as fundamentally sound as you can. And I think that's more of the approach that Marcus Freeman is going to bring. And that's a little bit of a simplified way of looking at it from my standpoint. There's going to be some complexity to it. But at the end of the day, Marcus Freeman understands. And I think coaches that come from that kind of level get that more and more and more because they don't have all the first-round draft picks and second-round draft picks. They understand. We have to make sure our kids know how to play the game first. Then we can go from there, and and I think that's what he sees in this linebacking core is, you know, I don't have a Jeremiah Wusukormo. I don't have a guy I can just let go freelance, and, and maybe if he's out of position, he's good enough to overcome it. I have to make sure these kids are lined up correctly. I have to make sure that they're confident in where they're going to go, and I have to make sure that when the ball snapped that they're flying 100 miles an hour and that they're believing in what they're about to go do. And I think that's a very, very important piece of this. Brian Driscoll is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. What are the stories that are up right now that Irish fans can enjoy? Well, we did a podcast today that's on the front page, and, and look, I'm very, I'm not high on Kane Madden as the, as the Marshall transfer. I have questions as Jeff Quinn as a coach. I'm curious about starting two freshmen, and I've had all these criticisms, but in the show today, we ponder the idea of, but what if I'm wrong? And what is that going to look like for the offensive line? And then what's that going to mean for the team if, if Kane Madden is a legit All-American caliber player, if Jeff Quinn is kind of going to build on 2020, and if the freshmen are ready to play? So we discussed that. And then I also have an article up today about – Notre Dame is in view of landing that elite game gap closing class. And so what would that dream finish look like in recruiting from an offensive side of the ball? I have that article up today too. So I actually name names. If they can get these players, this is what they need to do to really make that happen. And we also have an article from J.P. Scott where he talks about how Jeremiah Wusukormoa could be the Super Bowl answer for the Cleveland Browns. Whoa. Okay. Interesting. Looking forward to that. 
All that and more at irisbreakdown.com. Of course, the latest on recruiting also at irisbreakdown.com. And Brian will join Sean on Thursday. They'll talk all things Notre Dame football recruiting. Terrific stuff as always, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. And you and Sean can have a great visit on Thursday while I'm in the, I was going to say the great state of Ohio, but I think you would say that on a baseball trip. The state of Ohio, yeah. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, be well, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on, guys.